We're going to look at Psalm 96 today. Um, I didn't realize when I decided I was going to preach on Psalm 96 that it was Palm Sunday. And as I was preparing to preach on Psalm 96 and realized it was Palm Sunday, I thought, how fitting of a text for us to dig into on Palm Sunday. Praising God for what he's done, singing to our sovereign and great king, worshiping him. So let's go ahead and turn there. Uh, when Jesus, all four Gospels account for this Jesus uh, coming into Jerusalem on the donkey there. And Luke tells us this, and I'm going to use this as the intro here, um, that his disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I don't know about you, but there's no stone or rock that's going to praise in my place. I'm going to praise God for what he's done. I'm going to glorify him and magnify him. And I'm going to do that while I'm preaching here this morning. I might sing a little bit as we're, we're cause the, it actually, the text that we're looking at actually says sing to the Lord. So I might break out in song during this sermon. Okay. And y'all are welcome to join me. If I start singing, how great is our God or something, y'all are welcome to join me. Okay. Like let's be free to praise him because he's good. He's great. He's sovereign. He's gracious. He's loving. And let's enjoy digging, digging into his word, the truth of his word. And I love the Psalms. I'm just like a Psalm junkie. I could just camp out in the Psalms and read the Psalms every day. I've liking, I've likened Psalms to be like cereal, like one of the foods that I like tend to always go to for a snack and just feast on in the morning, at night, you know, afternoon. Anyways, we're going to look at Psalm 96. It's uh, one of my little quirky things there. Okay, Psalm 96. And actually, would you guys stand with me for the reading of God's word? We respect the word of God here and believe that it's infallible, it's inerrant, um, it's inspired by God. And we receive these words as from God. These are God's words for us today. They're relevant, they're powerful, and they're true. Amen? Amen. Psalm 96 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 96, there's a call to worship at the very beginning of this, and then there's reasons that the psalmist gives for us to praise and to worship God. And we're going to look at that. The big idea where we're going this morning is this, that the Lord is due praise and worship from all peoples because of his greatness, glory, sovereignty, and judgment. And saints are to summon the nations to join in worshiping Him. That's where we're going this morning in this psalm. Amen? So Charles Spurgeon and other, um, other people have uh, called this psalm a missionary psalm. Uh, there's a reference to the nations, to the peoples, to the whole earth calling them in to come and, and worship God. This is one among several from Psalm 93 to Psalm 100 that are known as enthronement psalms. These are psalms that focus on the Lord Yahweh as the reigning king. The one who rules and reigns over the nations. And this psalm was uh, written around the time when David, First uh, Chronicles 15 and 16, where David had become king. And the, um, David was able to get back the Ark of the Covenant. It had been taken by the Philistines and they had it for some time. And David was excited because the Ark of the Covenant was a central uh, symbol that represented the presence of God that contained the commandments. And, and it was a symbol of the presence of God. And so David was dancing, singing for joy. He was a little charismatic, I think, in his response as the ark was being brought into Jerusalem. And he was dancing and he was, he was a little undignified in his dancing. I mean, he just, he cut loose. All right. He cut loose. He started where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. And he just kind of, he just went at it and just was worshiping God. He had a wife, Michael, who despised him for his undignified dancing and celebration before God. But let me tell you this, God is worthy of, of all glory, praise, and honor, no matter how foolish we may look when we're doing it. Uh, there was a woman before Jesus in Jesus' time here on earth that was just undone before Jesus, worshiping, pouring out her treasure, her money, her, her oil on Jesus because Jesus was worth it. And she saw that. She believed that. David believed that the Lord was worth it. David was the Lord's treasure David, the Lord was David's treasure. David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, he said, One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. David just wanted to be close to God, love and worship and serve him. And so the Ark of the Covenant, covenant was a huge thing to him, having that back uh, in, in the possession of the Israelites. And so uh, this psalm is actually recorded, most of it word for word, in First Chronicles 16, along with uh, Psalm 105. Um, and that was a, 
possibly a, a song that was being sung during that celebration of that time. Uh, but we're going to start first. We're going to look at these first three verses. Um, there's an exhortation to sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord and bless his name. Notice it. It mentions it three times to sing to the Lord. And it says to sing a new song. God is worthy of fresh praise. He doesn't want stale, bland praise. He wants a new song that's fresh from our lips. And he wants us to praise him joyfully. And it's fitting for us to do so when you think about the reality that his mercies for us are new every morning. God is constantly working and intimately working in the lives of his people. I mean, just think about your own life and you think about times where God has delivered you, answered prayer, protected you, healed you, provided for you, guided you, directed you. God is intimately involved in the lives of his people. And there's, he's doing things in our lives that demand us to sing a new song to him. You know, and especially, you know, as we experience him providing and we sing a song about the Lord, our provider, or him delivering us. And we sing a song about the Lord, my deliverer, my rock, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And we experience it that week and we come here with the people of God and we lift our voices and we sing songs of deliverance about God's great deliverance. And it's kind of fresh to us. It's different to us. Because we've experienced the reality of what we're singing. Uh, when I became a Christian, I began singing a new song to God. I used to sing old songs that were bad and they weren't glorifying God. And I became a new creation. And God put a new song in my mouth, in my heart. And my song became uh, directed towards God. God became the essence of my song, my strength and my song. Because I was a new creation. I've been saved and redeemed and forgiven and free. And so I didn't listen. When I became a Christian, I quit listening to a lot of the junk I used to listen to. And I started to immerse myself with praise and worship. Songs that were true and right. That magnified who God is. And since I've been a Christian, one of, one of my most favorite things to do is worship God. I love God. I love delighting in Him, thinking about Him, praising Him, experiencing His presence, His nearness. And we're told to come before His presence with singing, with thanksgiving, Psalm 100. So it's fitting for us to sing to Him a new song. And, and notice this, that the, it, the song is first, it's directed towards God, and that should be primarily in worship, our, our main focus. We're singing to God. But then there's also this aspect of Declaring his glory among the nations. Tell his marvel, tell of his marvelous works. There's, I, I tell the worship team to make eye contact when we're singing songs. Don't just close your eyes the whole time and just you and Jesus because some of the songs we sing are actually declarations to others around to join in and praise God. So there's, there's two aspects. We're singing to God. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath in my lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs, 
So we pour out our praise to you only, God. Okay, so that's, that's directed towards God. And then you got other songs that are like, How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God. And so when we sing a chorus like that, it's, it's, we're, it's a declaration about God's greatness. And we're declaring that to one another and we're encouraging one another with the reality that God's great. That God's good, that God's glorious, that He's awesome, He's loving, and so on. And we sing to Him and we sing about Him. We speak to Him. And the same heart that overflows with praise to God should be the same heart that overflows uh, to proclaim who God is, to proclaim His praises to others. The same hands that go up and worship and praise to God should be the same hands that go out to witness and reach out to the lost people around him. Amen. The same lips that praise God should be the same lips that proclaim who he is to the nations, to declare his glory among the nations. He's, the, the psalm calls us to do that. And that's why I think it's called a missionary, song, a missionary hymn. Um, it says, I love that God is a global God, the one who is in control and in charge and cares about the whole world. And he's worthy of worship from the whole world, not just one people group. God, yes, God chose Israel and God uh, revealed himself to Israel and delivered Israel. But Israel, the Jews in the Old Testament and we see the New Testament were to be a light to the nations, be a light to the Gentiles, to declare, as we see in this psalm, declare his glory among the nations, to, to summon the nations to come and worship the one true God, the real God, the one who's alive, the living God. And so there's this connection here with our praise and our proclamation. Um, John Piper, in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, does a great job in connecting the dots for us. And the book's about missions, but he, uh, he focuses on worship at the very beginning, saying that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When the flame of worship burns with the heat of God's true worth, the light of missions will shine to the darkest peoples of the earth. When passion for God is weak, zeal for missions will be weak. Churches that are not centered on the exaltation of the majesty and beauty of God will scarcely kindle a fervent desire to declare his glory among the nations. Psalm 96.3 Even outsiders feel the disparity between the boldness of our claim upon the nations and the blandness of our engagement with God. So there's a connection between our worship of God and our witness about God, our praise to God, our proclamation about God, our singing to Him and then speaking about Him. The same heart should overflow with both. And I'm, I'm, I love both. I love 
worship and I love missions and evangelism. And it's big in the Bible. It's big um, because it brings glory to God and we're created to bring him glory. So the Psalms give us reasons to sing, give us reasons to pray, give us reasons to witness the Psalms in, in Psalm 96, we have a few reasons. Um, Psalm 103 gives several reasons. Uh, Matt Redman wrote a song, 10,000 reasons, 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, Lord, I worship your holy name. Hey, we're obeying what the scripture says here. Amen. So here's some reasons. Here's the first reason that the psalm gives. Verse four, the Lord is great. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Notice that the one true living God is contrasted with the idols or the idols and the God, um, the gods of the peoples are contrasted with the Lord who made the heavens, the creator God, the one true living God. You know, when God delivered his people Israel out of Egypt and as they were slaves in Egypt, God brought 10 plagues on Egypt and each one of those plagues put to shame the Egyptian gods and God displayed that he is the one true God, the sovereign creator and king who rules over creation and human history. He is the, the one who's worthy to be praised, who's greatly to be praised. He's great. And when we Worship, when, when I lead worship and sing, I see my, my role is to magnify the greatness of who God is. Kind of like a telescope. You know, like, hey, let's look in this telescope and magnify the greatness of who God is. And one of the ways that we can do that is by looking at creation itself. That the creator, he made everything and he made it good. His greatness and glory and goodness is put on display in creation. Paul says that his invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that are made in Romans 1. So we look and we see that God's a good and great and glorious creator, God. The one true living God who's greatly to be praised and he's to be feared. We should revere him. He's great in power. He's great in wisdom. He's great in mercy. He's great in love. He's great in patience. He's great in faithfulness. And Psalm 145 says his greatness is unsearchable. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We're never going to exhaust the greatness of who God is. I mean, we church, we get to spend eternity with God. The one true living God. We get to spend forever with him. And we're never going to exhaust the greatness of who he is. I remember as a, as a young Christian, a new Christian, maybe six months. And I was 17 years old. And I was trying to go to bed at night thinking about eternity and how long that was. Trying to grasp the concept of eternity and thinking, I'm going to heaven. 
but what's heaven going to be like? And all of a sudden, I had this sense of despair and fear, like, what if it gets boring in heaven? What am I going to do forever? That's a long time. And so that brought me to my knees. And I came before God. And as soon as I did, I felt the presence of God fill my room. And I just got this smile on my face. And I said, Lord, I can spend eternity in your presence. The Bible tells us that in his presence is the fullness of joy. And heaven is not going to be boring. And we're never going to exhaust the greatness of, of God's wisdom and, and power and love and, 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 and might. We're going to, as the angels do in heaven, sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to respond as we see more and more of who he is throughout eternity. Amen. Anybody look forward to that? Amen. Anybody been thinking about that lately? You know, it's good to think about that. It helps you. helps you live better here, thinking about there. Um, so great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. How great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Amen. Amen. So that's to Him. We're singing, how great You are, God. And then we sing... Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. That's a declaration about God. We're singing it to one another, encouraging one another that the Lord is great. He's great and greatly to be praised. The next thing is that the Lord is glorious. Notice verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. And come into his courts, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. Verse 6 in the Net Bible says that majestic splendor emanates from him. His sanctuary is firmly established and beautiful. God displays glory. He is the king of glory as we read earlier. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. He displays it. He displays beauty and splendor. The splendor of the king, clothed in majesty. 
Let all the earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. And one of the things I love about praising God and worshiping together is we focus in on the one who is beautiful, perfect, loving, gracious. We focus in on him and we live in a fallen, broken world. I mean, if you if you focus on the news right now and you keep up with the brokenness of this world, it can really bring you down and stir some fear and anxiety in you and discouragement in you if you focus in on the brokenness. Uh, But what I love about worship is it helps us set our mind on the things above. It helps us to think about God and, 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 and get a passion for him and his kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, right? That's what we prayed for earlier. We cried out for that, that God would bring revival. So he displays glory. He deserves glory. Glory is due to him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's designed all of creation to glorify him, to bring honor and praise to him for Through him, all things were made. By him, all things were made. And for him, we're made to worship and glorify the one true God. And the problem is, is that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've all failed to give God glory that he's due. We've sinned and we've failed to do that. And when we come to Christ, he he changes that. We've been bought at a price. Therefore, we glorify God with our lives, with our bodies, with all that we are, because we're his. We belong to him. We're, the, the psalm calls us to worship him in the splendor of holiness, to tremble before him, to ascribe to him worship that's due his name. He's the king of glory and he deserves all glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Verse 10 and 11 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. It will, he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Another reason for us to worship and be glad in our worship is that the Lord is sovereign. He's the sovereign king of kings. Is that good news? I don't know about you, but I've kind of had this tendency to stay up with the news recently and specifically politics. Uh, anybody else been following politics? If, I don't know why. It just seems like I'm, I'm interested in politics in this, this season. Um, and it can be a bit disturbing thinking about who's going to be the next commander in chief. Who's going to. What's going to happen? We got some interesting things going on in the nations. We got some interesting things happening and who knows what's going to happen. But here's a truth that we should be anchored to and that we're, we're the psalm tells us to say to the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord is in charge. He's sovereign. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. He's in control. This should, this should fuel our worship. There's so many worship songs that are focused on God reigning. We sang several of them this morning. This should fuel our worship. This should give confidence to us in these end times that we live in. 
This should comfort us and calm our fears, knowing that God's in charge. He puts kings up and he puts them down. He's sovereign over history, over creation, and he reigns. There's not some evil dictator and tyrant reigning over the world. God is in charge. The book of Daniel wants us to get that that truth. The book of Revelation wants us to get that truth. John in Revelation wants us to get that verse, chapter 1, verse 5, that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Later on, you see, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came the first time riding on a donkey lowly, peacefully. But he's coming back on a white horse. He's coming back on a on, on an animal that, that, that kings and, and people would use as an animal of war. He's coming to bring judgment and redemption to those of us who trust in him. This is a reason for us to rejoice. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. It's good news. I was, uh, I was on a trip this week um, with my family. Went on vacation to Montana to visit my brother and his wife and family. My parents and I drove up there. My wife and three kids. We made a, a 30 plus hour trip overnight. <laughs> we're crazy. I don't know what we were thinking. I'll tell you what. I'm sure glad that I had to preach this morning because I was able to fly back. Uh, my, my family's still driving back. Um, <laughs> Lord, give them grace and peace and patience as they're traveling mercies as they come back um, with those three precious kids who love being in the car for long periods of time. But uh, <laughs> so on my vacation, uh, I, I saw just some beauty of mountains uh, flew into Salt Lake City and was just amazed by the city that's surrounded by mountains and just flew over just some beautiful parts of the country. And, um, yeah, just in awe, like inspired to worship the one true creator, God. And so I get on my second flight in, in Salt Lake City and there's a lady there that was very talkative and open and spiritual and was just wanted to chat and talk and, um, so I told her what I was, that I'm a pastor and what I do and was studying and preparing to preach this message. And so I thought, well, the Lord made the heavens and we're, she's like making comments about how beautiful it is. And I'm like, I use that as a springboard to talk about the one who made all that, those mountains and sky and the one who reigned. Somehow we got into politics and um, <laughs> religion and politics. They say, don't talk about those two things. But and I was doing it. There you go. And I had a verse for, for, uh, for, for that. The Lord reigns. I was just telling her, I'm, I'm just glad that the Lord reigns. And, and, you know, he's the one who made all this stuff. He made all this stuff. And we had a great conversation and was able to share with her and encourage her from the scripture. Um, but I was thinking, I need, to, I need to obey what I'm about to preach on, by the way. Declare his glory among the nations. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. I need to tell somebody that the Lord reigns. He's the one who made the heavens. All the idols and the little gods are, are worthless. He's the one true living God. And this is reason for us to worship. This is reason for us to, to give praise. And it's interesting, um, the, Psalms, the psalmist starts using language, uh, poetic language, talking about the, the earth, the sea, uh, the field. Um, verse 7 the trees of the forest, 
uh, singing for joy before the Lord. It's interesting. Uh, just creation, like praising God. Um, you know, and it reminds me of something the Apostle Paul in chapter 8 of Romans that he talks about even creation uh, waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and be brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and redemption of our bodies. So even creation longs for the Lord to come back and redeem and renew and restore all things. And this psalm tells us that he's coming back also to judge. He's coming back to judge. For he comes to judge, verse 7, he comes to judge, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. You know, this is a positive thing. I mean, many of us wouldn't talk about God's judgment because we feel like it's too negative, right? But this is a positive thing, especially if you're living under a dictator, a tyrant who's oppressing you, harming you and your family and your people. This truth right here is good news that the Lord is coming back and he's going to righteously judge. He's going to bring justice and righteousness. He's going to execute righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Jesus in, in Luke 18 told a story, a parable about a widow uh, who went before this unjust judge pleading. And the point of that was that men should always pray and not lose heart. But this ju- unjust judge responds to this widow because of her persistence. She's persistent. And Jesus says this. He says, if this unjust judge responds to this persistent widow because of her persistence, how much more will God avenge his elect who cry out to him day and night for justice? God will act on behalf of his people and bring righteousness and justice. He will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is coming back. God has appointed a day when Jesus will come back. To judge the world in righteousness. Therefore, he commands all men everywhere to repent. And that's good news that we can repent and put our trust in him and receive mercy on this side of his coming. Because, you know, one day every knee is going to bow. Everybody's going to worship one day the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. And we, as saints, those of us who receive mercy and grace, we should call those who haven't yet bowed the knee to Jesus. Who are people who are still worshiping worthless idols, who have no hope, who have no redeemer, who are in danger of judgment. That we should lovingly warn them to turn. The Lord's coming back. This is our hope, church. The Lord's coming back. He came. We celebrate today, Palm Sunday. Jesus came the first time. His first advent. And he's coming back again. And we are to set our hope on that, that the Lord is coming back. He's coming back. That's good news. Amen? Amen. So how should all this affect us? 
we're commanded to sing and we're commanded to speak about God. And I mean, what, how does that apply to us? We believe that the word of God is relevant to us today and we believe we should obey the commands of Scripture, right? Well, here's just just a couple things that I think we should do in response to this. I think we should spend some time singing to God. Together, uh, by ourselves, focusing in on who he is and what he's done. We need to ponder and meditate on who God is and allow our hearts to be captivated in awe and wonder of who he is. And let the beauty and the glory of God, of who he is, become our joy and delight so that we overflow with praise. I think that's what we need to do. If you, you know, sometimes, you know, when we get here in corporate worship, we have a hard time entering in. I've heard that a lot. I just couldn't enter in or I entered in right away. Entering in worship because we come and we're like so distracted. You know, we have all these things going on. Maybe we're running late or or maybe we're, we're changing gears all of a sudden. We haven't been in worship gear all week. And then we come to corporate worship and it's like time to shift. Shift gears. And if if that's you, then you can still enter in and worship and enjoy God. But think about how great of a week you would have if you spent every day worshiping God, spending time with him, meditating on his word, obeying his word, singing to him, communing with him, praying to him. And another way that I think that we can apply this. Uh, text to our lives is to share the gospel with somebody this week. Invite them. Next week we have an Easter service. Um, Easter and Christmas are like the two Sundays or uh, the two days that that most people go to church or a lot of people go to church. That it's it's when the the most people are in church. I mean those are the most populated uh, church attendance days. Uh, there are those who would call themselves. Uh, Christmas or Easter Christians, you know, they, they just go then. Uh, and what a great time to invite somebody, invite somebody to come and celebrate with us the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go tell. And, you know, I think we should start with our neighbors. Like the, the Psalm tells us, hey, the nations, all the peoples, everybody. And we should have a heart for global missions and evangelism and, and, and seek that. But I think it starts with us at home with our neighbors, inviting our neighbors, our family, our loved ones, taking those opportunities. Somebody who's at the bus stop or at, on plane next to you and giving using those opportunities that the Lord gives to tell somebody about the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, to seek out the lost. Those who don't worship the one true living God. Let's do that this week. Let's do that leading up to reach. We have this big outreach coming. We do this twice a year. And it, for some of us, it's like a kickstart to evangelism and outreach. You know, it's like we're committed. We're going to reach out to our community. We're going to invite folks. And it kind of it kind of helps give us a boost in the area of evangelism, you know, a couple of times a year, which is great. Um, and I want to encourage us to, to just be more engaged frequently um, every Tuesday. Uh, Braden leads evangelism from four to six o'clock in the neighborhood. If you want to come out and be a part of that and tell of God's marvelous works and declare his glory among this neighborhood, you can come out and join and share the gospel with folks, worship and witness. Amen. Amen. And so let's respond. Let's do that. Josh, if you want to come on up, let's respond now with singing.
And also, I want to give an opportunity for anybody who's here who hasn't yet surrendered their life to God. You haven't yet bowed your knee to King Jesus and received his salvation, his deliverance, his forgiveness of your sins. Today would be a great day to welcome the king as he was welcomed years ago on Palm Sunday. This would be a great day to welcome him as the king of your life, as your redeemer, as your savior. I'd like to pray with you. I'd like you to come up front. Actually, even raise your hand. If you're here and you haven't bowed your knee to Jesus yet and you want to surrender your life to him and follow him, would you raise your hand or stand up or indicate that you're wanting to do that and you're ready to do that? Anybody? Okay. Right. Well, if, if you're out there, you're welcome to come up for prayer afterwards. But let's just respond in, in song. Amen. If you'd stand with me. Father, I thank you for your word. That is true and it's good. It's powerful. I pray that you would stir a passion in our hearts to worship and love and serve you, God, to glorify you. And that we would give our lives as living sacrifices and worship to you and as sacrifices to be used by you to proclaim the good news to the nations. Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Verse 11, worthy are you, O Lord. And God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Verse 13, to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.